sign up for our Discord channel at majordomamedia.com. Um, we are growing slowly but steadily. Uh, great content. A lot of information, advice of how to make your life a little bit more delicious. We have wonderful codes from our friends and partners. Commenteer, $25 off your first order. Cook any day, 10% off. And Momofuku items, the instant noodles, the chili crunch, the sauces, the spices are 10% off as well. And once you join our Discord channel, and uh, I guess we can get on to the show. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a very delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. Show part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Dome Media. Thank you, Yola Tango, as always. We are in the Spotify studios. Noelle is in the Philippines. She's in the Philippines, where she's not yet to invite us formally. I wouldn't invite us. <laughs> this isn't a, a moif. This is just, I guess, I have some questions and thoughts and ramblings and get some of Chris's thoughts about it, too. One is sort of a hot take. Is the, cur- is the current food media... Like a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about on this podcast, weirdly, a month or two months later, sometimes like six months <laughs> oh, later, no. Oh, no. it's there. Yeah. Is the current or is the question you're asking me? Is the current food media listening to the Dave Chang show? <laughs> no, I don't mean it like that. But it's just like it can be completely independent. But I'm basically saying like it's a little fucking weird to me that the shit we talk about then becomes, you know. I think there's, I, I had this thought the other day where I didn't want to be like arrogant about it. Be like, oh, I'm seeing this headline because we fucking talked about this. But there are some where it's like so exactly what we were just talking about like two or three months ago that I'm like. I mean, New York Times just wrote a story about clubs and restaurants. We've been talking about that for a long time. Mm-hmm. And this year, we've been talking about it a lot as restaurants came online. And I can assure you that it is 100% a thing. <laughs> And only growing, and it's going to be both good and bad. You know, I'm certainly entertaining it. We had one of our restaurants that we wanted to do as a club in a very different way. That was going to be awesome. That maybe I'm going to keep in my back pocket. God, I wish that had happened. I mean, I'm again. I'm not. I don't want us to take credit for any of it. Of course, it's like you know. Well, people... we do have Chris has some precedent because <laughs> when we made Lucky Peach, every fucking magazine started copying us. Yeah. I mean, to the point where we made a joke. Can we tell everybody this joke ass thing we did for Bon Appetit? The the the, the fantasy issue mm. one. Yeah, I remember. So, <sighs> tell the story because it's so good. It makes me happy to hear. 
<laughs> I mean, so we Lucky Peach, we started with a a very different aesthetic than existed in food media, mostly because we didn't have budget to like take nice photos or do nice things. So like we did what we did at McSweeney's, which was make things with hand drawings, lots of illustrations, you know, sort of irreverent treatment, do a title font that was hand drawn. And then within like 18 months, you can see the evolution of food magazines from how they started to how they started to look a lot, a lot, a lot more like Lucky Peach, where you're getting just like doodles on the cover, just, you know, jokes and everything was handwritten. There was no more like serif fonts on the cover. It had just completely changed the aesthetic. And Dave was like, Everyone's copying us. Everyone's copying us. And I was like, oh, I know. I know. Look at the most recent Bon Appetit <laughs> issue. <laughs> and he was like, you couldn't even tell it wasn't a Lucky Peach. Honestly, issue. it looked exactly like <laughs> a Lucky Peach. And Dave was like, you're going to just sit by and let this fucking happen. <laughs> and I was like, I, I guess I'm just going to make a joke out of it. So we decided we would do a fantasy issue of Lucky Peach. I don't think people realized what we did. We just took the Bon Appetit font and chopped it up and made it say Lucky Peach and put it as our new We made the font. closest thing we could do to a Bon Appetit issue possible. <laughs> it was like... And that, that month, Bon Appetit came out with the most Lucky Peach cover <laughs> of all time. It could not have been more Lucky Peach than... It was, it was just absolutely insane. And, you know, we did our, like, three hot new restaurants and, like, one of them was just made up, I think. One, we had said, like... Oh, one of our hot new restaurants of the year was, like, Bennu is going to start doing an all-you-can-eat fried rice course at the end of their meal, at the end of the tasting menu. And here's, here's like, Lucky Peach and, like, mostly my and Dave's career in media in general. Nobody thought any of it was a joke. (laughs) Nobody got it. It was like, it was just, Corey said that people came in asking for (laughs) unlimited fried rice. Like, that's the whole... You know, I was reading on Eater, and, like, there's a whole movement now about, like, making realistic food photos and videos. I'm like, when did that came from? What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, we didn't, we did, you know what? We just, did. Just say it. We shit. invented everything. <laughs> we invented it all. Chris Ying. I'm not going to say Chris Ying is the king of all food media. There he did it. From henceforth, Chris Ying has bestowed himself the title. I guess I've bestowed Chris myself. Joffrey Ying. <laughs> Wait, I don't mean Joffrey King of all food media. (laughs) At least they maybe Rob get his head chopped off. Uh, Yeah, it's it's. uh, I mean, we're sort of joking. Yeah, and it works both ways for sure. Like we absorb stuff and like reflect it back here, but definitely somebody's listening out. Right. Yeah. I'm. I'm just like, come on, man. (laughs) At least footnote us. Fuck. I know. I know. Just cite your sources, people. Cite your sources. But. you want to talk about clubs, club restaurants? Yeah, I went to one in New York when I was there. First, distinguish against for the for the listener the difference between a restaurant, like club restaurant, as you're talking about, and like a club strong. Club strong is Tao, and shout out to Noah Teppenberg and everyone at Tao because they're opening a, a shit ton of restaurants. But I think Tao was the first club strong. And if I talk about restaurant innovations, not just in Las Vegas, that was probably the last great restaurant innovation, like changing the game. Mm-hmm. We're going to take your money two ways. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Only way you can really get a table here is by making a reservation. And we're going to serve you good food and we're going to charge you a lot of money and you're going to pay for it because what you really want to do is see Tiesto DJ <laughs> at night. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and like that's how you can get gross revenue, like $63 million, right? Like that's just fucking insane. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to be the case in a, you know, today, but 
it's evolving. And I think that's all it's shown is we haven't really evolved too much since then. That was an um, unbelievable fucking model. Mm-hmm. We have seen experiential restaurants, right? Where we're going cyclical. It's now back to dinner and a show, which was the old, old 50s and 60s approach to let's go out. You know, a good example is like the beginning scene at Goodfellas where they go out to dinner. Yes. They pull up a table right in front of the stage. Yeah. You eat, you watch the singers. Yeah. And I think the next iteration of restaurants that we're going to see is, is twofold. One, are you're going to have clubs where if you're listening, there's a good chance you will never be, be in any of these clubs because <laughs> I'm not a member at any of these clubs. Some of my friends are in New York and I was like, they never asked me. <laughs> And they're social clubs. And I was lucky enough to spend a bunch of time in London over the years with, with Fergus Henderson and, and, and a lot of the British chefs. And at the time, I don't know what British uh, London drinking hours end now, but it's like it was like 10 o'clock, 1030. So a lot of the after hours places, if you wanted to get drunk and like hang out late night, were at these private clubs. Some of those are food, but mostly they're alcohol based. Those are happening. They're like, there's several of them now, mm-hmm. I think, in New York. Some of them have restaurants, some of them have food. So that's one. I don't, like, I don't even know that much about it to be able to say that, but the New York City social scene is going to look a lot like the British social scene, at least with clubs. And we are going to get the invitation only for restaurants. Mm-hmm. There were a couple like that over the years. Rayo's is the most famous example. But in Japan, it was way more common at the time. We talked about it right before the pandemic, like 2000 late 2019, that I was like, oh, a lot of these top sushiyas and Japanese restaurants were, and I talked to a lot of these people about to adopt the model that was invitation only. And there were templates to follow, right? There's some reservations, some restaurants, you could only make a reservation if you were invited to eat there and you have the, the ability to make a reservation when you leave and there's no column, there's no, you know, com- confirmation or not. It's a beautiful system. Mm-hmm. You're only allowed to eat there if you're a good eater. A lot of these things. Like, it's a way of getting rid of critics. It's a way of getting rid of fucking assholes. It's just good people that want to eat. And it's not just about the elite. That was sort of what I wanted to fuck around with. It's about like reliable clientele that yeah. you can count on. That yeah. you know who they are. And it's an amazing fucking model. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of Japanese chefs wanted to adopt that because American sushi bros were fucking it up. Mm-hmm. They were extremely disrespectful and loud and obnoxious. If and they not showed up. If they showed up for their res. And um, I think the pandemic changed that. Mm -hmm. Clearly, uh, tourism just reopened up in in Japan. So I think that will probably happen, but it's been delayed. Mm -hmm. I I mean, honestly, what an amazing model. (laughs) I do think there's like a perfect storm that's been forming for at least like 10 years around this. You have, I think the idea of the pop-up restaurant, like, soften the ground for everybody to understand like a restaurant outside of a traditional context, like your average diner pop-ups people started to understand. Then you sort of have this cultural storm of like every, and what you talked about earlier of like fracturing, right? Everybody's wants to identify their community, their group, right? It's like, it's, it's Twitter. It's the Twitter effect. Like I only want to live in my chamber, my echo chamber, my club. And then the third factor is like, the labor factor. I think when you're talking about like Japanese chefs and, and anybody who just wants to have a reliable clientele, I think you've got more private chefs, like more people looking for like a job where like you have a consistent A lot clientele. of private chefs. A lot of private chefs. Like these three things are like conspiring to like drive us this way, I think. And and for those that are like, we're going to lock, chop off your fucking head. You're just talking about the super, super rich. It matters for the hospitality industry because 
people get paid a lot more in these restaurants. Mm-hmm. So that's why it matters, right? And, and it does have a trickle-down effect. The other prediction I have, and I feel pretty confident about this, and this might run hand-in-hand hand with you know, private club restaurants, mm-hmm. the eventual disappearance of people taking photos and videos of food in restaurants. By their own? No, <laughs> like, because it's not cool anymore. Of, oh, okay, I see. It's not, there's no more social status. Yeah. It's just the fact that like you're eating there or the real social currency that you're holding over your friend's heads is that like, I'm a, I got in, I'm a member. Mm-hmm. I don't need to take a fucking photo. I mean, a lot of these, these, these like clubs do already. There's, there's one in, I actually now remember there's one in Philadelphia I went to that's like absolutely no pictures. And that was a, a fun place to be. But you're thinking that just like, ah, maybe I do agree with you. Listen, like, when the Masters, when I was there, when we did that whole thing, no photos, no cell phone, it's a, it was an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. I feel very strongly that this, grow, this trend is going to grow because dining is going to be about experiencing something together. Uh, for the same reason now, people make fun of, uh, if you see a, two people on a date and they're looking at phones, they get tooled on, as, mm-hmm. right, as they should. Mm-hmm. You know, just fucking leave, you know? <laughs> just fucking leave. Um, Part of this is based on not that I'm predicting anything. Everything is cyclical, mm-hmm. right? How can you take more photos of food? So I think it's going to be a, a uh, it's not going to be exactly that. You're going to have restaurants that are going to be full live stream yep. on Twitch or YouTube or whatever. It's going to be constant CCTV. And then you're going to have restaurants where there's no photos because that's going to be the cool thing is not that you're not letting people know that you're eating there. You've eaten there. Yeah. But somehow you're going to be able to express that you were able to get into someplace that no one else was. And it doesn't make sense. Like Co, for example, when we first opened up, if I turned it into a club, I think I would have gotten more shit on. There's three things I want to do. Variable pricing for re- time of reservation. Mm-hmm. Pre-char- like, and that would include pre-charging people. Two was uh, turning into a club, mm-hmm. right? Like I wanted to charge it. So like I've been thinking about this idea for a while. But we couldn't get past, when I say three, if one was all online, the second part was variable pricing. Like there was so much allergic reaction to the first bit, only online reservation. People, they forget how pissed off they were. You don't have a fucking reservation as fuck you. Mm-hmm. We're getting like death threats. Seriously. <laughs> I was like, what, what the fuck, man? This is easier. Why do you want to go through something that's a bigger hassle? So I wanted to do that, but I was always scared of doing that. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, talks come along and what will sells for half a billion dollars. Congratulations. Thankfully. <laughs> Love you, Nick Kokonis. Uh, I do. I think he's one of the smartest people out there in the business for sure. Him and Grant. Um, so like you're going to have this confluence of events happening. And I think one of which is not taking photos. I don't know exactly what the mechanism is to let people know that you're still eating there. Yeah, I mean, Foursquare tried it back in the day, but I agree you need some sort of like way beyond. I mean, it's always been cooler not to have to show it off. It's always been cooler for somebody to ask you about your watch than to show them your watch. It's always been the case, you know, if you have a fancy watch, but people still want some way of flexing. Do you find yourself taking less photos in restaurants? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's stupid. I do it to like just ha- I have no memory I'm, of the problem. I mean, I, I I do, but I'm also like, at some point, there's so many photos of it. Mm-hmm. Why is why is why is it special to you? I guess it's not even for it's just for like reference now, right? Just to like remember what you ate, <laughs> just remember anything. So 
if I'm on a date, do I take a photo of the date for reference just in case I don't remember? I mean, some people might. <laughs> Jamie, I'm so sorry. He's your life partner. I'm just like, who is this woman again? Oh, yeah, my wife. Um, I always try to embrace the trash ideas, the ones that are garbage, the ones that are really bad. And right now, again, I have no idea how, but if I have to ask the dumbest fucking idea possible, mm. it's definitely NFTs, <laughs> which is why it's most likely going to be a feature in mm. how we die. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's how people, and no, I'm not shilling anything. I'm not, I'm not even own any of this stuff. I'm simply saying like, this is what I do. I try to think about what's the dumbest fucking thing humanly possible and ask myself, is it really stupid? Mm -hmm. It is unequivocally really fucking stupid. Mm -hmm. And w the only reason why I'm giving it any credence at all, it's that same vibe I had when I saw somebody with cell phones in the early 80s. Like, you fucking dumbass. <laughs> uh-huh. I think, I think there's something there because, well, I mean... And I've experienced this too. It's like, you're going to do a restaurant from an app? You fucking dumbass. <laughs> You're going to do a, a reservation system all online? You fucking dumbass. Right. I was talking to a venture capitalist, one that was really influential, and he was like, when I invested in this company and they made fun of me because there's like email. You fucking <laughs> stupid. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. I can't name the name, but like he's a pretty influential person. And I was like, oh, this is a thing. So if you were like, hey, I'm starting this Web3 project. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what the fuck that is. I'd be like, you're fucking stupid. <laughs> right. What are you doing? And then in six years, be like, oh man, I was talking to Chris about this stupid project he was going to do. Again, I'm not saying that's the idea. I don't know. But there's a higher probability that the thing that's going to be successful is the thing that you think is most stupid. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm trying to say. It, it may not be that, but it's something else where I'm like, I'll give you an example. It's like, dude, I, I really want to open up a buffet. Mm -hmm. I am the biggest fan of buffet restaurants. I think it's a low hanging fruit that hasn't been fucking like looked at. And my, some of them, that's a fucking stupid restaurant. That's a stupid idea. God, I've been waiting for this buffet you want to open for so long. Listen, I try to do it with a Brazilian steakhouse with Korean barbecue. Talk about an idea. Somebody, I think every once in a while, because Will Godera said it on the podcast that I should just like give everyone an idea. I can't believe this hasn't happened yet. And uh, maybe we'll pick it up again, but. Brazilian barbecue is an amazing model. As labor and blah, 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 the thing that makes bar Brazilian barbecue so fucking genius in its sandbaggery is the people cooking your food serve the food, and by doing so, we don't need waiters or cooks. It's now this point forward that can do it all, right? Mm -hmm. But you got like 60 of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't need you to take an order because, oh, it's green. I know what green means. Oh, and I know what red means. You don't even have to fucking speak any language. Yeah. It could be a Charlie Chaplin film for fuck's sake. <laughs> you pre you pay and you know, oh, there's all of this starchy food that I'm supposed to get full on and I love it. Yeah. I want to do it. And then you just point and they cut it. Who's to say that has to be Brazilian picana and all this Brazilian flavored meats? It doesn't. And it's the way, you know, it's I think it's 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 such a it's a fucking brilliant model. For on both sides, it's like it's like a great way to eat too. Everyone, just like, I just nobody wanna... leaves, nobody leaves a Churrascara platform and be like, "What a fucking ripoff!" <laughs> yeah, everyone's everyone got as, exactly as much as they wanted. They didn't have to make any. They can just say yes to everything. And I'm going to give you your 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 catchphrase for your restaurant. Whoever opens this up, eat till you're unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, 
I think and right. I just think it should be Brazilian barbecue because a lot, no, not Brazilian barbecue, the Korean barbecue done on Brazilian skewers and all the Korean banchan and all of the starchy stuff, rice, etc. It's a perfect analog to a Brazilian barbecue, you know, with a feijoada and all the, that stuff. So like, that's one of my dreams. If I tell that to people, they're like, well, I don't know. That sounds pretty fucking stupid. Again, the only reason I'm really drawn to it is, yeah, I think it's actually sort of a good idea, but it's actually a fucking horrible idea. I think it's just a good idea. I think it's a crazy, silly idea, but it's just a good one, man. It's such a good idea. Like, that's how I want to eat meat anyway. I don't want to have to choose which one I want. <laughs> I just want a little bit of everything. I, I want know. a little bit of everything. I just... So here's another idea for a restaurant. So we're going to get... Video, that's another... I guess this podcast is trends. Predictions. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to sound like Stephen A. Smith. <laughs> I'm going to write about my fucking predictions. This is the year you're going to have variable pricing. Based on time? Because what's going to happen in the recession is the high-end restaurants are going to fucking crush. Hmm. They're just going to strength, have a stronger like position on people's disposable income. Because people don't want to take a chance. Mm-hmm. They just don't. They want something. If you look at the last recession, Sweet Green, Shake Shack... I, I don't know how successful they would have been if it wasn't the recession. So you're going to have concepts that are on the more affordable end crush. Mm-hmm. But it also means that like people are going to be spending money at the super, super high end. And like that means reservations are always going to be scarce because the, the, the pool of choices are going to be much smaller. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a perfect opportunity for restaurants. Certain restaurants are going to start to do variable pricing. And that's the last fucking like wall that hasn't come down in in restaurant economics yet is this when you say variable pricing what you're talking about to some degree is like ride share pricing right depending on availability busyness demand all of this like what the price is is i mean it's unfortunate like this is what i want to do with co originally (laughs) when i came with the reservation system for co i learned a lot when i answered phones at craft i every day i'd look not every day there would be availability, but like you're not allowed to make reservations from seven to nine o'clock mm-hmm. because there's specific tables for VIPs and friends. And it's not just craft. It's every fucking serious restaurant has that for the most part. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times there's just no availability. There's no availability. There's not, but that's not always the case, but it's a lot. And I remember they're trying to make a reservation at like the French laundry. I remember it was like, well, you got five o'clock and you got 10 o'clock. It's not that there's no reservations for civilians at seven o'clock. They're, they just disappear like instantly. It's like winning the lotto. Mm-hmm. Why would I want to wait 90 minutes to two hours just to be told five o'clock to 10 o'clock? Right. So it was like, let's just make it transparent and it's all out there. Now you're seeing a lot of that, whether you're on Resi or any of these online platforms, Open Table, whatever. So it's like, I want to eat at this restaurant. How bad do you want to eat this restaurant? Right. Yeah. And I think it's, an ad, it's advantageous for both restaurant and consumer. And I like pro rent, stabilized rent. So I don't view this as like rent stabilization at all, mm-hmm. but it's like a little bit more of a free market approach. It's like, okay, if I'm going to eat there at five o'clock, it's like 25% cheaper, mm-hmm. 30% cheaper. Everybody wants to eat at seven to nine o'clock, eight o'clock, especially now in pandemic, everyone's eating earlier. Everybody wants 7.30 reservation, 2X, mm-hmm. 3X. Mm-hmm. And you know what's preventing this from happening? I'm sick of all these food critics writing, it's so expensive, but they're also talking about, well, we need... To pay people more. I'm like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Right? Like, 
let let people experiment and food get more expensive for people that are already dropping stupid amounts of money and for everyone else that can't make it more affordable. Right. And that was sort of the model that I wanted to fuck around with before the pandemic. It's like, okay, if you're a teacher, you're a substitute teacher from, let's say, Delaware, and you're flying, you know, you're driving up to New York. It's like, this should be cheaper for you than some fucking rich hedge fund person. Mm-hmm. I was about to call him a dick, but we, we want their money too. <laughs> right? That doesn't yeah. give a fuck. And because now it's at 730, they don't care if they peacock in a restaurant because they, you know, it makes them feel more self-important. Yeah, this is interesting. I mean, this is specifically for restaurants that are doing prefix menus, whatever, right? Like less so for, you know. It doesn't have to be. Okay. It's like when we open up the original Fuku that first year, it's like, you know what I wanted to do? This chicken sandwich from 1130 to 130 is $60. <laughs> right. But so, it's $8 at 3 p.m. This ex- I mean, this exists to some extent, right? This is this is not a brand new thing. Like you can go um it's happy hour. It's it's like the it's it's the off hours where things are. Why are people? Well, it, this is happening to every facet of your life. When you fly on an airplane, when you buy a train ticket, when you buy a bus ticket, and you know what? You've accepted it. So the question I ask is not that restaurants shouldn't be able to do it. Why do you feel that restaurants can't do it? Mm-hmm. And it's okay. Well, I'm not saying you're okay, but you've accepted everywhere else. And I think that resistance to why you don't want this to happen to restaurants, because I think this will fundamentally change the economics for a lot of restaurants and restaurant workers. Ask yourself why you don't want to do it. Because that sort of commodification commodification of restaurants or what you think is actually the fucking one of the problems too. Mm -hmm. It's artificially fucking cheaper than it needs to be. Yeah, I think this is it's a, it's a super interesting ground. I think you're you're right because there's a certain mentality when it comes to like the what is the value of this restaurant? What is the, is it worth it to me? You know, like all of the articles that are sort of based on like what's what's worth what is is artificially keeping the industry down in a lot of ways. Is what you're saying because it's like what do you mean is it worth it? Like, Nobody is it worth fuck- it to you. Listen, people pe- spend I don't know. I've never seen Hamilton other than on when it was on Disney Plus and I turned it down. <laughs> the chance to watch Hamilton from really good seats because it didn't mean anything to me because I know the history of fucking Andrew Jackson. I don't... Alexander Hamilton. Alexander (laughs) Hamilton, whoever the fuck. (laughs) Was Andrew Jackson a president? Yeah. I think he started the the National Bank. No. I'm a chef, man. (laughs) 1825, I think, is Jackson. Something like that. Anyway. 100 years later. Maybe I should have seen Hamilton. (laughs) (laughs) But, 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 like, what we do know is the prices were outrageous, right? Yes. Your point is, it was not worth anything to you, but other people If I wanted to go to Yankee Stadium and see the Yankees get swept, (laughs) right? Oh, right. If I, you know, third base, two rows up, paying more money. Yeah. Because, and especially I'm buying the day of. But hey, if you want to go to Yankee Stadium on a day the Yankees aren't playing, that'll be cheaper. (laughs) I think that like... But also you should be able to pay for reservations far in advance. So if I book tickets and I'm, you know, I'm mindful about my dollars and I want to do it as far as possible to take advantage of the lower rates, it's way cheaper to book a flight out six, seven months out. Yes. And more expensive the day of, the night before, the two days before. We should be able to do that option. Why can't we do that? I know why people would be fucking pissed. I think prepayment has to be a part of this plan. Well, that's all happening. It all has to happen. And if you don't want it, you're part of the fucking problem. <laughs> it's just facts. Yeah. Do you? If give you don't any... want to pay more money for food, 
then pay more money for the fucking reservation or the ability to eat the food at a specific time because it's every other facet of culture has allowed this to happen. You know, even you know, it's like an even more clear analog for this. A matinee movie is cheaper when nobody's going than like fucking movie in the middle yeah. of, you know, seven o'clock Friday night. What do you say to somebody who says, oh, no, Chang, this is going to make restaurants inaccessible for the... It already is! <laughs> Fuck! It already is. If anything, you're just taking more money from the people that are stupid fucking rich to do so. This is the this is the this is the estate tax we've been looking for. Yeah. It's the only way to 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 level the playing field. Bernie Sanders, if you take this fucking idea, I'll be so pissed. <laughs> I think I think there's something to that. I think I think it's interesting. It's not about like come at 5 p.m. for fewer courses. It's come 5 p.m. for the same exact meal, but you're eating in daylight and, and, and listen, you're still a little like, full from lunch. Listen, all of this is dependent on the restaurant to execute and to deliver. Quality matters and quality wins out regardless. It always does and always will. I think that this is inevitability. It's going to take a decade plus for this to happen, but I do believe this is the year you start to see it implemented. That's true. There is there is like a sort of misguided thing where you're just like, is this, is you know, the, the $325 restaurant, is it worth it? It's not actually a question that most of the people in that restaurant are asking themselves. <laughs> like they're not there because they're like, I'm getting a value on dinner tonight. We got the value bill tonight. <laughs> I don't give a fuck if I'm eating at five o'clock. <laughs> in fact, you prefer it. In fact, <laughs> that's when I eat now. When we go out to dinner, we are waiting in line at like 4.45 at parks or something like that. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Walk me through... Go every five years from the time you're if you're 20 years old. What is your what time is your ideal dinner reservation? Well, in general, I you know I was going to say past when I was a, going out to dinner in my late 20s, on my night, nights off. In general, going out was Sunday through Thursday mm-hmm. every night. You stay in Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. Best nights to go out in New York City: Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. No <laughs> question. Mm-hmm. Because it's like you you meet two people. When you're out late at night on Monday at like two in the morning, mm-hmm. one is they've, they've lied. They changed their name because it's like Poindexter Vanderbilt, the 17th. <laughs> That's their real fucking name. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And they've never worked a day in their life and they pretend that they have a job, but they don't. And they're just a fucking. They have the, the liberty to go out any night of the week they want. Yes. Which is nice to have them in a room full of shit that's happening because they oftentimes pay for fucking everything. <laughs> Uh-huh. You need them. Yeah, you need them. They're like a social lubricant. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But for everyone else, they're they're like mostly artists or creatives of some sort. Mm-hmm. And that's fun. 
That's, that's the like Sunday, an interesting Monday, thing. The crowd. But what time? So like that is like two thirty in the morning. Two thirty to five. Going to eat. Yeah, that's a lot of times you go out to eat right at that time if, after you've gone out drinking and stuff like that. But in general, for me in New York, it was like okay, after service, I'm going to leave before blah blah blah. Ten o'clock. Ten o'clock. Nine forty-five. Okay. I mean. I just would avoid 7.30 like the plague. I mean, that's just traffic. Why do I want to eat with a fucking bunch of yeah, agree. tourists? Agree. I think for the general public, 7, 7.30 is like the ideal dinner. As late as possible right? for me. Yeah. That's usually the way it is. But if you're with other people, you know, you got to eat like civilian times. Well, I mean, even, even if I had like a night off or something, I would still say my ideal time in my 20s was like, an 8.30 or 9 o'clock. I don't want to push it, depending on the time the restaurant closes. I don't want to be in the last I want to be the last turn. Basically, whatever the time is the last turn. I want to be the front of the last turn, though. I don't want to be the end of the last turn. So I want to be like 9 o'clock. You don't want to be the last tables, but in general, you know, you want to be, you know, I don't know. Really, I would just go, more meals were eaten by myself at the restaurant bar on my day off, and that would be like at 5 o'clock. Okay. I mean, I've eaten at 5 o'clock a lot. It was either 5 o'clock or like the last turn. Okay. So then in your, uh, is there, was there any change between that before you had kids? Like in your thirties, was there like, were you a seven o'clock person ever? I didn't have kids till I was 42, Chris. <laughs> right. So between the, like the those past three years have been locked down. <laughs> in those intervening years, did your ideal dining time ever move? Grace and I would eat dinner at like 930. Whoa. It got later. You guys would eat it at no, we did, like 930, 9, 930 Damn. would be our time to eat. You guys are like cool New Yorkers. What the hell? Because we were cool New Yorkers. <laughs> And now, now I know. Literally, if we go to dinner, we're with looking our at kids, the clock, and it's like it's four forty-five. Can we eat now? <laughs> the other, the other day, like when we go to dinner, like Chang and I were at lunch, and we're like, "Oh crap! It got it, it's after one o'clock. We have to eat again in three hours." <laughs> like, oh, crap! There's no way. There's no way. <laughs> oh yeah, the four o'clock. I mean, more restaurants should open at four o'clock. Frankly, so I'm gonna give you one more idea for variable pricing, and this is what I think is the. If we reach this point, this may happen before variable pricing gets adopted. Mm. But again, variable pricing only works with quality and things that you covet, right? You know, yes. if there's no demand to move the price, then there's no demand. Yeah. Yeah. You can't be like the price doesn't fucking, Although you have some experience in being like, well, nobody's here. So let's just raise the price <laughs> to like create the demand. Or like that's Cho's whole thing, right? It was like, Nobody wants to buy my paintings for $1,000. Nobody wanted to buy it for $200, but they want to buy it for $25,000. Yeah. That tells you fucking everything. Yeah, exactly. All right. So this is what I really sort of wanted when we introduced train tables at noodle bars. Mm-hmm. And it's logistically very difficult to pull well, explain, off. But people don't know what that means, train tables. We have schedules, uh, like literally a train board. Mm-hmm. Like a, you go to a train station or airport, the old school, they would like flip like an old school alarm clock or clock. They would to just update f- the times yeah. and arrivals and departures and stuff. I like interaction. I want experience that is fun and that everyone understands. And I wanted it to be where this is, let's say 530, we have five of these dishes that we're making. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's it. And um, seven o'clock, we have 15 of these. And every 30 minutes randomly, it comes in. And I want there to be someone, some guest being like, wait, I can't get it. No, it's already sold out. That, oh, no, it's already sold out. You want people like waving flags in the air being you like. You just want like, yeah, I want this. Yeah. Some mechanism to be like, I want that. Mm-hmm. Ooh, it's a little bit like the sushi boats, mm-hmm. but like better because I sort of hate sushi boat restaurants. Mm-hmm. Unless you're, you know, 
just stoned out of your mind. You want to eat a bunch of fucking food. Oh, my stacks of plates. <laughs> and also, that's also the most embarrassing thing. The stack of plates. It's pretty bad. Yeah. You got to create multiple stacks. Yeah. Or buy them, you know, pretend you're leaving like three times. <laughs> Can you color me out? <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. Um, so that's what I wanted, right? To, so it's fun and everyone can engage. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't, but it's really hard to do clearly after this pandemic, right? With restaurants closed, but this idea that your uh, restaurant has a pulse and you're creating specials and it's something that I love. I love that idea. I think there are some difficulties with executing that without technology. And I hate the fact that I would say this is an app on your phone, but there's some mechanism that can be created where you could be bidding with people in the restaurant. Mm. Uh, we have uh, two left center mm. cut X. Oh, we only have one left of, you know. This is interesting because this plays in with like, there's there have been a few like Western American restaurants that have adopted the sort of dim sum model, right? Of like, we push the cart around and whatever the kitchen was able to make at this moment we have. Right oh, I try now. to do the, one of those things too. Yeah. So like the, the dim sum <laughs> thing, but there's a certain element of like, I actually kind of love, I don't know if this is where you're going, but like, fuck man, I have experimented with every restaurant <laughs> concept possible. I really have. Fuck. But like the market price, we all know, like we've all seen market price. But That's what the name of the like, restaurant? That's what it should be called. But what if it's like, the stock market. Oh, and I'm just tracking the price. Yeah. I'm just tracking the price of that pork bun until it hits the point where I'm ready to buy. Yeah. <laughs> or like, we just oh. call it uh, boiler room. <laughs> <laughs> it's called boiler room. But like, wouldn't it help the kitchen flow too if they were just like, oh fuck, like I'm in the weeds, but you know, it's like it's easy for me to make like seven orders of, of halibut right now. Like let's lower the price on halibut right now and like yeah. sell these out. Like it's yes. easy for me to turn that dish out. I can do the brandad right now. But it's, the it's a little bit down. like dating app or something where it's like, oh, there's three. I want this. Yeah. And I'm going to f- keep on it's bidding eBay. and bidding it's the and buy bidding. buy it now price. Yeah. You can, you, oh, yeah. You can have you, <laughs> you can have the pork belly right now, but for the buy it now price of $275. I did a seance yesterday and I channeled. I got I got Adam Smith. <laughs> um, free market day oh, yeah. today. It's wealth of nations <laughs> over here. Holy shit, man. So like... That'd be funny as shit. Yeah, I think that's funny. How different is that when you're doing some kind of tuna auction or something? Like, I'm going to pay the most for this. I like that. I like that. You could do this at like a fucking deli counter too, like a busy deli counter and just be like, oh, everybody here wants like a pastrami sandwich. Well, if you really want it right now, it's like $48 or you can stick around and wait for it. People do that at Disneyland. Oh, yeah. You don't want to wait in line? 5X the ticket price. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So somebody probably already does this model in the world. But we're going to, I hope to see more innovations in this. And I am not going to say unequivocally, these are all good ideas. What I want to support is experimenting the hypothesis to see what works, to make it more fun, to to be more interesting, because I don't think we're going to find innovation in new foods, right? Like, remember like five years ago, Zug was a thing? Mm. Like, not one food editor knew what Zug was, so shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? Like... Oh, you know all about this hot sauce. Oh, this is the, yeah, the fucking the like the the expertise and authority that people write with when they have just discovered something 14 hours ago is just outrageous. But coming I, next to your food I, section, I, I do want to just like, Hanout and Vodavon I, spice. 
<laughs> the next big thing. Yeah, right. Why is everybody cooking with Vaduvan? I mean, uh, so just to just to be clear, though, again, because I think that what you're talking about right now can be misconstrued by some people. They're gonna be like, "Oh, so like I don't have as much money as that person, so I don't get the anchovies." That is not the point. The point is like the restaurant industry has been driven by like how people expect to be able to pay their, for their food, and we want if you want the restaurant industry to do better, like you have to loosen the reins on how they're allowed to make money. Like, that's the thing. Is like, it's not about excluding anybody from eating. The other thing I think you're going to see as a food trend, I don't understand food trucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. In the sense that what gives you an advantage is that you're mobile. <laughs> but you spark in one you place. You park <laughs> in one place. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know what I thought about the other day in regards? <laughs> what the, f- I understand like sometimes you can park cause it's cheaper real estate, but like the advantage is you don't have to operate like a fucking restaurant. You should be constantly mobile. Yeah. And there's different ways I think for food to like happen here. Three, I'll say three things about this. One, I was thinking the other day as I was driving down the street, I saw a cement mixer, you know, like cement mixers go and they're like mixing as they go. And I was like, there are not enough cars. They're like doing other shit while they're moving. <laughs> like a cement mixer is amazing. That car is working while it's moving on the freeway. Second, I agree with you that they're not taking advantage of their mobility. Something's got to change. I've, as somebody who's like stood in a moving food truck before, like you cannot be cooking in a moving vehicle, but you could be doing stuff otherwise. Like you, you can be moving around in there. but. uh I mean, what do you have in mind for like a mobile food truck? Food trucks are going to become even more prominent than they ever have been before. That's my prediction. Well, the dream is like the 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 Chinese food flying boat in the fifth element, right? This remains yeah. the dream. Just like you're gonna see they may not stop, but they might be the last mile fulfillment of a restaurant. They might do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. But like the growth in a four walls of a traditional restaurant have been like capped out unless you have variable pricing and all this other stuff, which clearly is going to happen. It's going to be met with fierce resistance, but then everybody t- 15 years from like, I can't believe we didn't do this. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but I do think exploration of food outside of the four walls of a restaurant is going to continue. And I think it's going to be food trucks. That's my prediction. All of these predictions are going to hopefully, you know. I see. I mean, I do think there is something there I that that food trucks currently are just treated as like mobile brick and mortars where it's like, this is my brick and mortar here. I just park it here every week at the same time in the same place as opposed to like, isn't my advantage that I can go to wherever the customer is? I can move around and do anything. That's interesting. I hope it's not something where it's like, oh, I'm going to cook the food on the engine. I hate this. Um, the engine thing. One more topic. I'm beginning to think most people that are so-called amateur food experts uh-huh. don't know what they're talking about. You're beginning to think that? <laughs> Give me an example of what you mean. I saw some dude like filleting a fish blindfolded. Guess what? Super you didn't useful. see the ones he fucked up. Yeah, super useful. He used to have six. He used to have uh, five fingers. Yeah. You know, and I think that's interesting, but we're also going to get to a point where every recipe has been, again, how many steak recipes do you need? (laughs) We're going to reach a point where we reach critical mass for steak recipes. Then it's going to be roasted chicken recipes. Then it's going to be fucking stupid fucking cauliflower steak, whatever the fuck. Everything's going to be done to such a 
satur- point of saturation. What's next? Like, how many different ways can I cure a fucking steak in something? Mm-hmm. At, some of the first movers on this are cool. It's all it's all follows the same pattern. The next thing is gonna be like steak for dessert? Question mark? Question mark? Question no, mark? but like, I I wonder that some of them are really great. Hmm. A lot of them, I wonder if they know anything. And even somebody that was going to a restaurant and trying to de- like decode, like I'm eating at the most expensive restaurant in the world or whatever. I'm going to. No, I watched somebody talk about Noma for the first time. I'm like this fucking guy knows nothing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fucking zero. But part of me understands, like, maybe they're appealing to an audience that also knows nothing. Sure. But now we're making this person seem like they know what the fuck they're talking about. But this is where I think credibility, like, some form of credibility is, like, we were talking about earlier with some of these other other, uh, innovations. I think, like, that's what needs to happen. Like, we need another verification mark. You need a verification. You need a different double, not a blue check. We need, like, another check, like, because right now, just the only verification is access, right? So it's like, I went to Noma, and therefore I know more than you because you didn't go to Noma. Do we want to do this ourselves? Should we just verify people <laughs> just, that we think know what the fuck they're talking about? I mean, it's, it's, it's no more or less arcane than the way like Instagram currently gives out the check marks. We can just be a committee and decide. Just be like... Because some people are really good, and they're good. And to other people, I'm like, you just learned that on YouTube. No. <laughs> this is why you need this is why you need credibility. You need you need some sort of way of I wonder. Here's my challenge. How many of them could do these 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 segments live? Oh, with the, the demo segments as opposed to like yeah. and it's all under the guise of like oh it has to be 15 seconds otherwise I would have showed you the longer no, version. Do me let's just we're going to have a studio. <laughs> I want to I want to invite a lot of these people. Let's cook live. Come through. Let's cook live. <laughs> Who's the captain now? I, for one, am not afraid to cook live. Let's go. Speaking of social media, I had one more thing. Brian Ford sent me this video. This, this evidently some like foodie creator influencer from New York who's, who's popular now was eating Chinese food, takeout Chinese food with a fork and was like, this is the one food that hasn't gone down in price due to inflation because allegedly, allegedly Chinese food is made from roadkill. And I was like, Brian was very, very upset about this. But I was like, this is still a thing. Like people are still saying like Chinese food is made of roadkill. Like one, if that's the case, why are you like, why are you still eating it? Two, how much roadkill do you think there is in this world? Like, do you think that like there's like Chinese restaurants just to have to hire drivers to drive around and like run over animals so they have meat? But like this, like I understand to some degree, Dave, that like the MSG misinformation is still out there. But like this other one, this like roadkill thing makes me insane just on a practicality level. I, I've never even heard that. You've never heard this thing. This is a thing. Just like I don't believe in flat earthers. <laughs> I don't believe in people that don't believe in science or people that think Kanye West knows what he's talking about. Like I don't, you cannot reason with illogical people. This is true. Brian was very upset. I just thought it was like, I'm with you. I'm just like, why, why, why would you get upset about somebody who has just like no basis for reality? But that's, but this is the type of shit that you're talking about on expertise and like this dude's got a million followers. That's, that's really? Yeah. Well, that's, that's troubling. We need a credibility check is what we're talking about. A TSA pre-check. I want to collide with these people. <laughs> Let's bring them all in. I want to know. Let's Aren't bring- you interested to see if they can cook real time? <laughs> I mean, we already kind of know the answer. 
No, we don't. It's like, shouldn't we find out if the world is flat or not? Like, and not only, not only that, I want to know if it actually tastes good. How do you know? I do want to know that too. That should be the real test. It should be like, I, I tasted the thing that this person made. Ooh, that's where our slot is. I, if I see another beef Wellington fucking made, I'm gonna lose my fucking mind. Beef that's Wellington. not a recipe. Beef, yeah, that's a Lego construction set. <laughs> There's like no cooking. That's There's a, no tasting. That's an architectural feat more than it is yeah. a, a cooking feat. Yeah, I agree. I can guarantee you what. Y- they can make beef wellington better than me. Because I don't give a fuck about <laughs> beef wellington. <laughs> I think the duck cell is delicious. That's about it. Yeah, but then you... But yeah. what's a duck cell? They were like, what's a duck cell? It's like a... It's a duck. <laughs> I saw some dude talking about... Um, he was like criticizing when somebody making a... Beef Wellington. And he's like, yeah, he did everything right. He's abusing crepes. I was like, you fucking dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> like crepes wrapping around the yeah. Beef Wellington? He's like, that's not traditional. I was like, oh, fuck, man. <laughs> this is some QAnon shit. All right. I think we need to, I think we need to set the record straight on a bunch of this stuff. That should be our, that's our. We're concern. trying to promote vigilanteism. <laughs> Shut Where's Batwin when we need, we shut, need him? Shut these people down. Anyway, uh, we'll get you out of here. One last note. I, I, I realized one of my favorite restaurants in the world, one restaurant that was instrumental in, the, in Momofuku, because that's where I learned about steamed buns and bread, closed. Oriental Garden is no more on Elizabeth Street. It's now a shoe store of uh, some sort. And uh, Uncle, Uncle Choi, damn. sorry I didn't get to say goodbye. I don't know where you're at, but... Um, your restaurant was the most frequented restaurant for me in New York City. I had many, many great meals there. For those that don't know, doesn't really matter. But for those that are fans, just know that Oriental Garden is not there anymore. Oh, that cuts deep, man. Yeah. I'm sorry for your loss. That's I know, legitimate. Man. That sucks. It's a big, big, big part of like where I would go out to eat a lot. So, yeah. um, But New York Town is back <laughs> and open and surly as fucking ever. <laughs> and I love it to death. And I was there, and a woman there said, you cut in line. I said, no, I was here. You fucking cut in line. <laughs> you got into a line argument. Oh, yeah, man. I got a line argument. She's like, no, no, no. I was like, I was here, and I got her boyfriend to actually admit that she was wrong. That was the highlight of my year so far. <laughs> <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a bad year. <laughs> anyway, give us five stars how you rate this, and uh, take everything I said with a grain of salt. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs>